Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, my friends, to today's episode of Everyday Truths. We are in South Africa today via the postcard. Uh, this is from uh, the McGee's, uh, my really good friends, Pastor Josh McGee and his dear wife, Jen, who served down in Clute, Texas, uh, not too far from Houston. Been my privilege to be there uh, to minister at that church, but they were in South Africa on a missions trip and sent back this postcard. So thanks, guys, for thinking about me all the way down in South Africa. It's been my privilege to go there as well and to conduct some pastoral training uh, and look forward to going back one day. But uh, what a needy place and beautiful place uh, South Africa is. We're in Jeremiah chapter 15 today, brand new chapter. And one of the most amazing verses in the book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 1. You almost have to read it a couple times because it is just a mind-boggling verse. Uh, Look, if you would, at Jeremiah 15 and verse 1, where the Bible says, Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight, Let them go forth. Now, what a verse. So here's Jeremiah, and he has a great pathos uh, for the people of God. And he's sorrowing that God's people have rejected his messages. And he is just in, in utter dismay to think of all that could and would happen to them by way of the judgment that he's been pronouncing. And God has even said some really strange things to Jeremiah, like, don't bother praying for this people. I already know uh, that their mind is set. Like uh, an Ethiopian that can't change his skin, like a leopard that can't change its spots. These people are just habituated toward backsliding. They're not going to change. This must have been very difficult for Jeremiah to to hear. And, And maybe even Jeremiah was thinking, boy, if I could just preach better, If I could just pray harder, uh, then all of this maybe could change. And I think that Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 1 is a verse that will help contextualize all of that for Jeremiah. Because the Lord says, Jeremiah, it's not you. I mean, if Moses were here, now Moses was everybody's hero. And of course, Moses, known most especially for being the leader of God's people out of Egypt, And among the many great qualities of Moses was the fact that he interceded for the people. Remember, God was willing to say, I'll just start a new nation with you, Moses. And Moses prayed that great prayer of intercession. And yet God says here, if Moses were in your place, Jeremiah, nothing would be different. If Samuel, remember what the Bible said about Samuel, that great prophet, the last of the judges, and the one who... Uh, anointed both Saul and David, uh, the the boy who lived with Eli. Remember his mom, Hannah, and how uh, Samuel heard the voice of God? 
And the Bible says about Samuel that God did let none of his words fall to the ground. So, so influential was Samuel, so powerful spiritually was Samuel. The Bible says that none of his words fell to the ground. God made all of his words impactful. And yet here in Jeremiah 15 and verse 1, God said, if Samuel were in your place, Jeremiah, if Moses were in your place, Jeremiah, it wouldn't be any different. It's not you, Jeremiah. It's them. And then he said, you've got to let them go. You've got to allow this to transpire because this is what's necessary ultimately for their remediation. This is what's necessary ultimately for them to see themselves and to come back to me. This must be this captivity, this destruction. This is essentially what they've chosen. Put them from me. That's what they want. They want a life without me. Show them what a life without me is like, and perhaps then they'll they'll understand. And indeed, that's exactly what this passage teaches. Look at verse number two. It shall come to pass if they say unto thee, whither shall we go forth? So, so remember verse number one, just tell them to go. I'm done with you. Go, go. And they're going to ask you, well, where, where, where should we go? Where, where, almost dismissively. Well, where do you want us to go? Just leave. Get out of here. Has a parent ever been so frustrated with a rebellious teenager uh, that he has said, just, just go. Well, where, where, where? just, just go, go anywhere. Just get out of here. It, it's the, it's the words of frustration. And here Judah says, where do you want me to go? And, and watch what the Lord says. Then thou shalt tell them, thus saith the Lord, such as are for death to death, such as are for the sword to the sword. Such as are for famine to the famine. Such as are for the captivity to the captivity. Boy, that sounds harsh. Where, 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 where do you want us to go? God said, go to where you're inevitably going to go. And there are only four options. Either you're going to die the death, and I think that refers to death by disease, or you're going to die in battle, death by sword, or you're going to die because of the lack of food, the aftermath of the siege, no food, famine. Or you're going to be taken as kidnapped uh, prisoners to Babylon in captivity. In other words, there's no good option. When you, when you leave God, when you leave the protection of God, when you leave the will of God, then ultimately there are no good options for you. Verse number three, and I will appoint over them four kinds, the Lord says. And watch what he says in verse number three, the sword to slay, the dogs to tear, the fowls or birds of the heaven, and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. So in essence, this is just figurative language, which says, listen, it's going to end badly. And people are going to die. And even after death, there's going to be further shame because their bodies will not be buried. There will be no one there to conduct these funeral services. And to the Jewish mind, to have one's body after death be desecrated was the shame upon shames. And yet the Bible says that the dogs, like the wild dogs, will tear their flesh and the 
birds of the air, like the vultures, will come down and eat their flesh, and the beasts of the earth will devour and destroy. But what, what vivid imagery that even after death, there will be no glory. It'll all be shameful. It'll be a shameful legacy for having disobeyed and rebelled, uh, and rebelled against God. Verse number four, and I will cause them to be removed unto all kingdoms of the earth. Now think about that. That was literally fulfilled. That if you go today throughout the whole world, you will find Jewish people. Why? Because they've been scattered to all the kingdoms of the world. And yet, is it not interesting that all around the world, the Jewish people, unlike the Hittites or the Canaanites or the Ammonites or the Amorites or all of these biblical peoples, the Philistines, none of them exist today. None of them have retained their identity. And yet, here we are 2,700 years after this prophecy was issued, and the Jewish people have retained their identity all around the world. Why? Because they're people of the book. They've remained faithful, at least externally, ostensibly to the Torah and to the synagogue. So they have, they have re retained their identity, even though they've been scattered. Now, of course, we know in 1948, there was a regathering and reestablishment of the Jewish nation, which I think is part of prophecy as well. And Israel is celebrating uh, its 75th year now uh, since 1948 uh, in uh, as a nation. And so that's amazing. But what's the point? The point is that this prophecy has been fulfilled. Look at verse number four again, where it says, I will cause them to be removed unto all kingdoms of the earth because of, so here's the reason for removal. Here's the reason for captivity, among others. Because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did in Jerusalem. What an odd thing for Jeremiah to say, because Jeremiah never knew Manasseh. Manasseh lived and died before Jeremiah was even born. Who, who is Manasseh? Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah. Well, Hezekiah ruled back in the 700s. He ruled during the time of Isaiah and Micah. And it was Hezekiah who turned to God when the Assyrian army came down to destroy Jerusalem after having defeated the northern kingdom of Israel. And it was Hezekiah that, that prayed and spread that letter of Rabshakeh out before the Lord, and God gave him uh, protection and great victory. Remember uh, when 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were destroyed at the answer to Hezekiah's prayer uh, to God and how Hezekiah repented and turned the people back to celebrating the Passover and to following God once again. And so who is Hezekiah? He was one of the good kings, one of the kings that led God's people back to serving God, to deal with the apostasy that had so enveloped that nation. And then yet Hezekiah got those extra 15 years of life, remember? And that was a good thing in the sense that God granted him life, but it was a bad thing because he did no good things in those last 15 years. He made some unwise decisions about showing off his wealth to the Babylonians and it was during that 15-year period of time that he had a little baby boy named Manasseh. And when 
Hezekiah died and his son Manasseh began to reign, Manasseh reigned for 55 years. And almost every good thing that Hezekiah had instituted by way of spirituality and repentance, Manasseh did the opposite. And he turned the people back to idolatry, even sacrificing their own children. I mean, horrible, horrible things. And while Manasseh did repent personally at the end of his life, it was a little bit too little, a little bit too late. Why? Because through those years of enculturization of apostasy and idolatry, he had basically turned the entire nation away from God. And now here we are years later because Manasseh had a son who reigned for two years, who had a son, a little boy by the name of Josiah, who ruled for really 31 years, but he started ruling when he was eight. So by the time he was 39, he died. And Josiah was a good guy. And he turned the people back to God, but it was it was just too late. Because Josiah had children, and those children weren't following God. And they were the children to whom Jeremiah was preaching. And yet the Bible says that the influence of Manasseh was so pervasive that now the inevitability of captivity was upon them because of that season in Judah's history. What a sad, sad thing that is. And what a, what a sober reminder that should be to you and me about the strength of influence and how what we do, good and bad, has imp- impacts our children, our grandchildren, in this case, our great-grandchildren. And the trajectory of a nation was affected by the evil reign of a man that lived to regret it, that repented of it. You'll meet this man in heaven one day, but he lived a life that was utterly a failure. So we'll stop there. Didn't get too far today, but important uh, information to cover for sure. We'll come back to verse number five next episode. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.